You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 2. I've told this story many times as I tell of my conversion, but I love that I'm up here and I, I owe it all to the Lord that I'm even here. Um, I look in this room and see faces of people that have invested in me in such a way that I'm even able to be here and I'm excited about preaching. Um, A long time ago, about eight years ago, um, I was really mad with my wife, fiance at the time, probably girlfriend. Um, She was leading us spiritually and um, she's like, we need to become part of a church. We're going to get married. And so we visited some churches and there's a guy in front of us. Um, who was worshiping with his hands up, weeping. And she said to me, a non-believer at the time, you're going to be like that one day. <laughs> and I was really mad. I, I didn't, I was like, you don't like me the way I am? And um, I think in her head, she's like, no. But <laughs> I tell you that story because I love the sense of humor of the Lord, don't you? Here I am, um, by no means of my own, um, not only worshiping Jesus, but leading in worship of Jesus. Usually I'm, I'm playing the bass, um, and even now expounding on his word. And so um, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for those who have um, been part of what God's doing in my life. Um, I am forever grateful, and I'll keep telling that story a billion times because we're going to see today and we're going to see all the time how God's been drawing us to Jesus all along. And so, Matthew chapter 2, we started um, our journey through Matthew a couple of weeks ago. Um, And Matthew is a former tax collector. He's an outsider. He, in a sense, gave up his soul for tax collecting to follow Jesus. And he records for us um, what he hopes to be proof of the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. He wants to, in a sense, rub our noses, rub the reader's noses, into the fact that what God said would happen, happened. That God would send somebody to save his people. We'll journey back to the Old Testament a bunch of times today. Uh, Not a bunch, a few times. um, Because Matthew mentions the Old Testament, quotes it many times. And to give you kind of uh, a perspective on how much the books of Mark, Luke, and John allude to the Old Testament 65 times total between the three. Matthew alone goes back to the Old Testament 55 times. And so I hope that this journey through Matthew, not only will we see um, Jesus and meet Jesus, but we're going to see how he's been prophesied and talked about all along. Now, why would Matthew do this to the original readers? Well, I like to think that he's kind of like, I told you so, he told you so, and here it is. And so the first week, we saw a lineage of people, a genealogy of broken people and sinful people, um, and at the end, we're introduced to Jesus. And we don't think it's an accident that he was um, brought into this lineage of broken people. The week after, we saw the birth of Jesus. And to use a quote from last week, he was born in a dung heap because that's where he knew he'd find us. And so, 
we see both in the genealogy of Jesus and in the birth of Jesus that he is near to us. And he has been prophesied all along that this king would come. Which brings us to chapter 2. And the question that I want to ask before we start is this. Oh, skip that slide. What are you currently waiting for or longing for? What are you currently waiting for or longing for? Just think about that as we journey through this, these 12 verses. So starting in chapter 2 of Matthew, of Matthew in verse 1, we'll read through verse 12 together. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then Herod, when Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to go to sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. My prayer today is that God would shape what we believe about this story around what the Bible tells us that he would replace our nostalgia of this story with faith, that he would take our going through the motions of Christmas and replace it with worship of the promised Messiah, Jesus. So let's walk through it, verse by verse. Verse 1, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay, a couple of things going on here. The first is when it's happening. Um, there isn't much detail, but sometime after Jesus was born, while Herod was king. That's all we get. So how old was Jesus at the time? We don't know. But sometime after he was born, while Herod was still king, the wise men came to the Jerusalem from the east. So a couple, uh, quick background on these men. Um, they're not kings. And so if you love that song, I'm sorry, they're not kings. <laughs> Jesus, or excuse me, Matthew calls them wise men. There are a lot of theories why people think they're kings. Um, 
You can believe that, but Matthew doesn't tell us that. And so they're not kings, they're wise men who came from the east. Another word that um, you can use to this, these people were called magi or magicians. That's where we get our word, word magician, magi. Some say they were astrologers, but not astrologers that you and I would think of astrologers. They weren't like scientists for the sake of science. Um, they would think about like studying the stars, students of the stars, in order to kind of figure out what this thing called life is about. And so scientific theologians, kind of. That's who these guys were. They would have studied the scriptures, but they wouldn't have been strong in their theology. We'll get to that in a minute. And so, although they study the scriptures, they wouldn't have been known to have great theology, which is interesting that God still draws them to Jesus, even in their poor theology. Think about that for a second. And it's important to note that they were well-respected, high-ranking officials. They probably traveled with a caravan. Um, and so they weren't just alone and by the way, stop for a second, there weren't three of them. We don't know how many there were, but there wasn't three of them either. So I... <laughs> Next year, uh, if you still have your Christmas list on your Spotify, um, I don't like that I just made you think about it that way. Please enjoy the great music of Christmas, um, but just know that it wasn't from Matthew. <laughs> Matthew didn't write that song. So they come to the Jerusalem. They're from the east. They could have, this could have been Persia or Egypt or somewhere in Babylon. It doesn't give us much detail, but it's estimated it was up to, upwards to 800 to 1,000 miles away from where Jesus was born, from Bethlehem. So wise men come from the east, come to Jerusalem, saying, verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they see a star. Now, why would they follow this star? Um, and why would they connect this star to the birth of Jesus? Um, I want to help you see this because they would have known this story. Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 2 and go back to me, with me to Numbers chapter 22. We're going way back. Um, fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. If you get to Deuteronomy, you've gone too far. Numbers chapter 22, and to give you some background on Numbers 22, um, it's a story about a king named Balak and a magician, magi, seer, named Balaam, sorcerer, I think, um, named Balaam. And ba King Balak gets scared because the people of God, the Israelites, are growing in number and they're growing in might, and they've just defeated some people, and they start camping outside of Moab where Balak is king. So he gets scared. He calls Balaam. Calls. He reaches Balaam somehow. And he wants to hire him to curse God's people. Now, why wouldn't King Balak just assemble an army big enough to destroy God's people? That's a great question. He hires Balaam, the sorcerer, to speak curses over the people because the might and strength that they've grown in is not just physical, They've seen time and time again God rescue them and deliver them through prayer and dependence on God. And so it wasn't just physical, it was spiritual of nature. And so he's like, I need to hire this guy to spiritually curse them, in a sense. 
And Balaam accepts, and we find ourselves in verse 22 of Numbers 22. And so Balaam accepts the job. He's going to go curse God's people. 22, Numbers chapter 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Here we go. Then the donkey opened, or excuse me, then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said, Why are you talking to me? (laughs) No, he doesn't. (laughs) Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. (laughs) And so what seems to be a really funny story um, is actually great because right after this, God convinces Balaam that he is not to curse these people. Balaam sees, God shows him, you're not to curse these people, you're going to bless these people. I know King Balak told you to curse them, you're not going to do that, you're going to bless them. And then, starting in chapter 23, is one of three oracles of Balaam. And then the final oracle, if you turn the page, to chapter 24, verse 15. And he took up his discord and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes covered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And the rest goes on to tell of how God will protect his people from their enemies. And then this word is spread widely. This prophecy that there's a king coming that will rise out of Israel. Do you see it? A magician from the east tells us that a star will rise out of Jacob. And these magicians from the east in Matthew were staring at the sky thinking, what even is life? And God rearranges the heavens, fulfills the Old Testament prophecy to lead them to Jesus, the scepter that will rise out of Israel. Another thing to note is the way that they ask the question. So we're back in Matthew chapter 2. 
They didn't say, where's the king of Israel or the king of the Jews? They said, where's he that is born king of the Jews? And so Herod was appointed king. He wasn't born king. And so to ask a question like this is quite provoking. Like, took me a long time to get appointed as king. You're saying there's somebody just born as king? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And then verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. This word troubled can be translated terrified. And so what I think we see here is that when Jesus enters the picture, earthly authority becomes terrified. Jesus is king over everything. He's the king of these people. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Herod. He's the king of everything. He's the king of kings. Herod was installed as king of Judea by the Roman government um, some 40 years before this, and he's a grumpy man, to say the least. Um, He was successful. He was powerful. He was well-respected. And if anyone even got close to sharing his reign with him, he would have them killed. Even to the point where he's been known to have his wife and son killed because he didn't trust them anymore. So the thought that there's a king of the Jews born brings out all of the deepest fears and insecurities and he wants to kill this person. We'll see that in the coming weeks. He's terrified, so what does he do? Verse 4, And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. Okay, stop right there. So, assembles all the chief priests, scribes, and people, right? The religious people, and they tell him exactly where Jesus was to be born. We'll stop here and point something out. The, the meeting consisted of two types of people, um, and I don't know which spectrum you might fall on, but I'll, I'll give you them. I'm not sure of the circumstances that brought you here, but I, I think that King Herod represents a terrified people. And I don't know what, what brought you here, but have you ever found yourself thinking, what's the purpose of all this? Have you found yourself searching for something, but nothing ever satisfies that? Have you thought you found the thing just to find out that it disappoints you? Be it a relationship, a job, a school, a raise, you name it. The thing you got for Christmas last week? I think I know exactly what you're looking for. I think you know exactly what you're looking for. And here's the thing. You know exactly what you're looking for. Is it possible that this king of kings, king of the Jews, this promised Messiah is what you've been looking for? And I've been there. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to think that Jesus can actually satisfy you. It's terrifying to think that he could do that. Here's the thing. You can trust him. He can satisfy your soul. He has come to shepherd his people My own story is very similar. Um, I grew up very morally good kid, uh, followed the rules, got good grades. All my teachers liked me. I was really good at manipulating them to like me. And I was getting ready to marry Brianna, sitting to my left. 
And I'm thinking, I've done everything pretty awesome. I'm going to be awesome at being married. And it was in premarital counseling about seven and a half years ago, almost eight, that the Lord spoke to me through Pastor Jonathan in premarital counseling that unless he takes this seat, this thing will crash and burn. And I didn't want to believe it at first. I was getting ready to marry this woman. I'm going to nail this. And God's like, nope, meet Jesus. And I'm like, no. No, no, no. If I let go, this will crash. Friends, I'm standing here by the grace of God to tell you, you can trust him. Herod represents a terrified people like me. The other is religious people. I think they represent indifference to Jesus in this verse. Did you see that? They, they would have known better than anyone of the Old Testament prophecies, and their response is one of indifference when they get asked where Jesus is, where he's supposed to be born. He's over there. Maybe you're in this room and you'd call yourself a believer and you've never known anything but Jesus. I have to ask, have you become calloused to Jesus? If you were honest with yourself, is there any excitement in you when you hear the name of Jesus? We often say that the leaders in our church are not the people that have it all figured out and have all the right answers like knowing exactly where Jesus is going to be born. The heroes of our church are the people that repent of sin, turn away from it, and experience the joy of Christ together in community. That's who we follow. That's who I want to follow as they follow Jesus. Don't you? It's a scary place to be indifferent about him. The name of Jesus should never get old to the believer. It should get sweeter every time. We will look weird for this. Like, bro, why are you so excited about Jesus? And if there's persons in your GC, thank them. They're responding the way that we'll see in a minute the wise men do. My prayer is that we would never, ever allow anything to steal the joy of Christ away from us. So Herod represents terror of Jesus, who he says he is, the Religious people represent indifference to him. And here's where Matthew quotes the Old Testament. You can go there, um, but I'm going to put it on the screen. Verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who, is sh who will shepherd my people Israel. He's quoting Micah 5. Well, I put it on the screen so you can do some comparing um, the first thing you'll notice is that, and you, O Bethlehem, and you, O Bethlehem, is the same. In the land of Judah, Micah says, Ephrathah. It's not the same. Why? Well, Matthew wants to clear up any confusion. First of all, this word Ephrathah is old, poetic, and might be kind of outdated at this point. Um, and so he's clearing up what Micah didn't think to be very important by using this word, Ephrathah. 
Jesus wanted to say, Bethlehem gets a spot on the map because of who was born there. It's not insignificant. And so instead, he wants to communicate the greatness of Bethlehem, saying, in the land of Judah, meaning the only thing that will make this land great is the fact that the king of the Jews is born here. Bethlehem, in essence, gets that spot on the map. There's one more difference um, in this quote. Do me a favor, highlight or underline the part where it says, who will shepherd my people Israel, and next to it write, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. Matthew is connecting a great leader that is coming from the land of Judah, and um, that God promises to give to a time when God promised to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, that he's going to shepherd his people Israel. And so these people, the Jews that he's writing to, are like, great leader, land of Judah, they think, King David. Does anybody know where King David grew up? Bethlehem. Matthew is saying there's a greater king than David who is to come from Bethlehem, the land of Judah. So the scribes and the religious folk, in their indifference to Jesus, tell Herod where he is and what's his response. Chapter, or verse 7 of Matthew, chapter 2. Then Herod summons the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. This was King Herod trying to figure out how old Jesus might be. You'll see the importance of that um, in the coming weeks. And then in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may worship him. Come and worship him. I don't know if I need to say this. He's a liar. He's not going to go worship him if he finds out where he's at. He wants to hurt him. But they listen to him at first. Um, We'll see in verse 12 at the end, God reveals to them in a dream, don't go back to Herod. So they go back home a different way. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they first listened to him. They went on their way, and behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came over came to rest over the place where Jesus, where the child was born. So this picture, the star that they saw rise while they were still far off in the east, comes and rests over the place where Jesus is. John Piper would say, God wields the universe to make his son known and worshipped. So maybe it wasn't a star or a dream that brought you here. Um, For these people, it was a star. But God will wield the universe, right? Think Psalm chapter 19, the glory of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. They come and find him. God wields the universe. He rearranges the stars in order for these men to find and worship and know Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but what is their response? My hope is that this is our response um, when we find and meet Jesus. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Joy to the fourth power. (laughs) In other words, they were really, 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 really happy to find Jesus. 
really happy. Dancing, shouting, cheering, laughing, crying, singing. If you're like my family, kissing and hugging. Think of all the things that you think of when you think of the word happy. That's, there, were real, there were four times that. Going into the house, we see here that Jesus was in a house at this point. Um, one more time, I promise I'll stop. Jesus was in a house, not, a, not the stable anymore. Um, so maybe you have this at home. I want to ask you to do me a favor. Go home and remove the three wise men. I know you paid extra for the 11-piece set. But I need you to go home and remove the three wise men. They weren't there. Um, shepherd, right? Angel, Jesus, Joseph, Mary. Fantastic. Bible gives us that. The wise men. We saw they're, they're 800,000 miles away. And so they traveled on camel. I don't know how fast the camel goes. I've never been on one. Um, but not that fast, I assume. Maybe on a good day, 20 miles a day. And so even at that rate, I'm not going to do the math out loud. Not, hopefully they're still not in the stable. So they're in a house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. The wise men see the child, and their first response is to worship. Not, oh, what's his name, Right? cute. Good hair. Wow, he's born with a lot of hair. No. They worshipped him. It says they fell down to worship. This is something you do to address someone that is mightier, more powerful than you. You do this for a king. They fell down and they worshipped. The first people to worship Jesus were these outsiders from the east. Not God's people. Not the king of Judea, Herod. Not the religious people that would have known him from the Old Testament prophecies. This is important. The first people to worship Jesus were outsiders. People who were likely pagans. Magicians, stargazers. Not the people you would think would first. That's who God saw fit to draw to Jesus, to model what it means to worship this king. Despite, again, the fact that their theology wasn't great. God still reveals his son and they worshiped him. God met their longings, brought them a thousand miles from the east to this house where Jesus is in order that they might Meet the one who will satisfy their longings. And they worshiped him. Here's what this means for us. Remember that question that I asked at the beginning? What are you currently waiting for or longing for? Maybe it's joy, contentment, intimacy, relationship, approval, comfort, consistency, something. God will graciously use all of those things to draw us to the satisfactory presence of Jesus by miraculous means. In this case, a star. Later we'll see in dreams even. 
Think about how many Old Testament prophecies like this one, like um, Numbers 22, um, Micah 5, that we already went back to, are specifically fulfilled in Jesus. Now, think about how many of your longings are specifically offered to you in Jesus. You want comfort? Meet Jesus. You want joy? Meet Jesus. You want intimacy? Meet Jesus. You want approval? Meet Jesus who left heaven to say to you and to me, approved. Meet Jesus. Then, we'll move on here. They opened their treasures, offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to end our time on these gifts. Um, A lot of scholars don't agree that there's much significance to these gifts, but um, I think they do. Um, I say that to say you don't need to believe that they do in order to be a Christian. You're saved by grace through faith alone. You don't need to believe this. I think they do, um, and I'll walk you through it. Gold, this would have represented Jesus' royalty. So many times in the Old Testament, we see gold connected to royalty, kings, princes. When King Solomon's um, royalty is described in the Old Testament, gold is mentioned 10 times in seven verses. So gold representing his royalty. So when Matthew in chapter 1 is saying this king is deserving of all worship, here in chapter 2, we see that he receives the worship as king with gold representing his royalty. Then frankincense to represent his deity. Incense in the Old Testament over a hundred times is used to represent worship or service to God. And so here we see him see them uh, presenting him incense to represent his deity and myrrh to represent his humanity. Well, frankincense is used to work for the worship of God. Myrrh is used for the anointing of man. Myrrh can be used for many things. It can be mixed with wine to use, be used as an anesthetic. It can also be used to prepare dead bodies, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think about the rest of the story. Here in Matthew, Jesus is presented myrrh as a king in a cradle. Mark chapter 15, verse 23, Jesus is on the cross, and they offer him wine mixed with what? Myrrh. And he did not take it. So while here he's offered myrrh as a young king in a cradle, one day he'll be offered myrrh as a king on a cross. Then you get to John chapter 19, verses 39 and 40, Joseph of Arimathea is presented preparing Jesus' body for burial. And what does he use? Myrrh. So while we don't know if these gifts had any significance at all, um, here's what we do know from the testimony of all the scriptures. Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to die. We sing this, don't we? Last week, actually. The Son of Heaven leaves the Father's side the healer bleeds, this life was made to die. This was the means by which he would save us. There's no other way. I think this is an invitation. Um, If you're in this room, believe it or not, this is an invitation, believe this good news. 
You might ask, well, why can't I get a dream or a star to follow? Well, is it possible that the miraculous means by which God would bring you to Jesus is the fact that you're sitting here right now? Right now. To give your life to Jesus, to repent, to believe that God created everything to be perfect and in our sin, we disobeyed him and put other things on the throne of our lives other than him to be king. He brought you here. Jesus was born, king of kings, was born to live the perfect life you and I could not live. He never sinned. He was righteous. He was perfect. He didn't deserve death. But he was obedient to the point of death. Yes, death on a cross. He died for the sins of all the world, none of which were his own. He died the death that you and I deserve with his last words being what? It is finished. But he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously over the grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And if you remember our time from Micah, or excuse me, Malachi, at the end, what did he say would happen with the remains of the vanquished enemy? Do you remember? For those who believe, it's simply dust to walk on. This is the good news. This is the good news. Rejoice exceedingly with great joy over this good news. These men gave him extravagant gifts. Why? Because he's worth it. Join me in repenting. Join me in repenting all the ways that we try to be king of our own lives. Join me in believing this glorious gift is for everyone. The story started with some wise men in search of something. They didn't have great theology. They were just some magicians. And it ended with them meeting the one who is to satisfy every single one of those longings. This is what we give our whole lives to. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being the one who satisfies every longing in this room. You are the one worthy of praise and worship. I pray that we would receive the good news today. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we would repent of the ways that we try to satisfy our longings with other things. I pray for the ones in this room who have yet to believe that you are able to do this. I pray that right now you would draw hearts to yourself, that, Lord, you would use this time together as a way to call the nations to yourself. that you would do this now, even now in this room, show us that you, by miraculous means, mean to bring us to Jesus. Show us your Son. And as a result, we would do nothing but worship him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.